Hello, friends, and welcome to the Weekside Podcast for the very last time. I'm Connor Orr, alongside my good friend, my co-worker, my partner in crime for the better part of a decade, SI senior writer, Jenny Vrentis, and uh, it, it's a bittersweet day here um, in our makeshift Zoom podcast studios. We are very excited, as you guys have been hearing us, on the Monday morning podcast with Gary Gramling, which will be a full-time experience starting next week, but this is the last episode of the Weekside podcast in its current form, and... Uh, all we have to say, and and we'll get to a little bit of this later, is we're completely blown away by the, the sheer volume of mail, uh, everybody sharing their own personal experiences with the show, teaching us a little bit about you guys and, and where you came from and, and what's going on with all of you, asking a ton of great questions. Really, uh, you know, it warmed our hearts. It was crazy. You know, sometimes you do this. Uh, and, you know, you do one episode after another and you think, well, who's listening and, you know, who's out there? And that was a really um, that was a really emotional thing. You know, Jenny has the Weekside Pod Gmail and she kept forwarding me all these messages and notes that that you guys had sent. And uh, it was really just um, it was really just a wonderful um, amazing experience, and uh, we'll get to a couple opening shout-outs in a minute, but uh, I just, you know, Jenny wanted to bring you in, obviously. I mean, that to me was just so cool. Yeah, and there's always a little bit of pressure doing something for the last time, but I'm so glad that we can lean on reader mail, which is really just the ethos of this pod, to get us through the final episode and all of the questions and comments that we received, we're going to build today's show around that. And it was really meaningful that we got so many responses. Every time I, I saw my phone light up with, with a new email, it was always something that brought a smile to my face and really meant a lot that people connected with the show. Like you said, you're talking into a microphone and you have no idea. And the other thing that came through in a lot of the messages was that it the show kind of helped provide some community or get people through the pandemic, which is certainly what it did for us. Yes. We were, you know, not around people, but every week we were on a Zoom, me, Connor, Shelby, and became a little weekly ritual that I always looked forward to. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, got I, you know, I had to pick myself up after this one, uh, you know, before this one, get myself a little bit psyched to do the Zoom. And so I'm telling myself, you know what I tell myself uh, a lot of times? Just finish stronger than Peyton Manning, Connor. You know, uh, just finish stronger than Peyton. Uh, yes, he won the Super Bowl, but the stats weren't great. So we're going to try to do it both <laughs> ways. Uh, so um, we're going to go through some uh, opening shout-outs here. Uh, I'll read the first one. Miguel from Monterrey, Mexico. Hello, Miguel. Described the show as a bunch of friends with coffee on the side and with a geeky side to it that made it even better. We could not have planned a better vibe. Uh Miguel, it was almost like you hang, hung out with me in high school. How did you know? Uh, that was uh, that was very cool. Thanks for sending that. Yeah, and we heard from people all over. Anthony, who's one of our most faithful correspondents, said he's having some reservations on the Urban Meyer Jaguars and how far he goes in, which we can certainly relate to, Anthony. You heard from so many of our international friends. A new location was Kazu from Tokyo. Kurt was very glad that we fixed the New York City sirens. Kurt, I really tried very hard and will continue to try hard on the Monday morning show. I let Shelby know whenever a siren passes the timestamp so we can cut it out. A young journalist named Lily. There was one of several young journalists we heard from, which was really cool. 
Connor with two N's, as opposed to our beloved Connor with one N, said he could not read the word halcyon without thinking of us. <laughs> Bob, who grew up in New Jersey and went to high school across from the Jets facility and now closed school, said the podcast helped remind him of his roots. Martin wow. in the north of England said the podcast helped him get through the isolation of the pandemic, as we mentioned, us too. And also, Connor, Martin is a Raiders fan, so he said things aren't getting any better, which, you know, <laughs> you guys can definitely uh, connect on that uh, shared ass assertion. And then we also heard from Alex, another Brit, who wrote in with the subject line, or are you kidding me? So I knew that this was going to be a special email. Alex, you also said that the show was a bright spot for you in a tough year, and we are with you, Alex. We are so glad to have you as part of our community here, and we look forward to continuing to see you and everyone else on the MMQB Monday Morning Pod, and we also hope you continue to write in. We'll keep checking the Weekside email address. We have uh, a different email we'll share on the Monday Morning Pod, but we just really continue to hope that we hear your messages, questions, all of the above. So uh, truly a special community here at the Weekside Pod. Absolutely. Yeah. And just, you know, uh, when when you reach out, like it, it just meant so much to us that you guys were so open about, you know, everything that was going on with you, um, you know, how the show kind of fit into your lives. And it, it just really it was really special. And so, you know, I wanted everybody to know that we read every single note you know from top to bottom and you know we're going to we're actually going to start um responding here uh you know this week to to catch up with everybody and and make sure that everybody can join us and find figures out how to join us over at the mmqb podcast because we we want you guys to be part of that family um and uh you know that said we have a ton of reader questions very excited to get into it um and so i'll, I'll read the first one from jenny we had about 19 Alexes uh, in the UK, and uh, this is from Alex uh, se number 17, uh, who would like to ask a question here. He said, it's been a real balm to go through your episodes and listen to your friendship. I am always here for your TLC discussions, uh, which was uh, such kind of, uh, feedback. Don't ever go chasing waterfalls, Alex. Uh, this email was really just to say thank you, but I do have a question if your mailbag is not already bursting. The context is that a non-NFL fan friend of mine, they are more common here in the UK, has decided that the draft is too hit or miss to be a sensible team building mechanism. Bill Belichick would agree with uh, your friend there. And this got me wondering, in any given year, if you were to give an expansion franchise exclusively draft picks number 1 to 53... To build their best roster, would they rank dead last come the end of that year? And how long would it take them to catch up? And what positional weaknesses would be a barrier to their success? Thank you, Alex. What a great question. Yes. What an interesting topic to consider. I think they would definitely be dead last, Connor. <laughs> I think the bigger question is how long would they be dead last? And you basically lose all of the experience and institutional knowledge. I mean, one of the things that helps teams get better over time is building on the same offensive system. I mean, it's it's one of the reasons that Brady was so successful in New England. I mean, obviously he had success in, in Tampa Bay immediately, but through the first two decades of his career, he was he, there were some changes with offensive coordinators, but he was largely playing in the same system and just building upon building upon that you know, system and structure and terminology year to year. So I think that is an underrated part of what you would miss. And there are certain positions, I think, that you would target to 
be concerns more than others. I would say the offensive line would be a big concern, especially now with the transition going from the college offenses to the NFL, even though a lot of those stylistic uh, flourishes and principles have, have trickled their way up to the NFL. I do think it's an entirely different game pass blocking against some of the pass rushers in the NFL. But Connor, I'm eager to hear your take. Well, uh, I, I think expe- as expected, and uh, I'll, I'll go back to uh, I'll reference one of our readers here that sent us a uh, uh, that sent us a shout out. The Raiders fan. I think they would beat the Raiders. I think that this team would would definitely beat the Raiders. There's always one team, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, the Jaguars got a win last year for uh, for for goodness sakes. But um, I, I think it all depends on who is doing the drafting, right? Like if you if you got some sort of hardened out of date football type, you know, that was just like, well, we need to do this this way. And, you know, drafted just a bunch of uh, play- bad players. Then I, you know, I, I would see the, say the team is no doubt going to finish um, in last place. Uh, but I think you could probably win two games. I think you could win two games. If it's a generational quarterback class, like if you got a Trevor Lawrence at the top of the draft or even like, even someone that's just good, like if you got a Baker Mayfield, a Lamar Jackson, someone like that, I think that you could probably squeeze out a win or two. But you're right, the offensive line would be a massive uh, uh, blow because you know, look at if you put together any of these classes over the first over the last five years, like it would be hard to find one solidified offensive line in each of right. these classes. Right. Um, and then I think in the secondary too, I think that would be the second biggest barrier uh, to immediate success because the jump is so complex for corners. I mean, h- how rare is it to see a cornerback come from college to the NFL and start dominating right away? It takes a while to learn um, all these different systems. And like wide receivers, a lot of these guys now, because teams want to play fast, they, they, they're asked to stay on one side of the ball right and so they don't move maybe as much from the slot to um to the to out wide and you know they don't uh, they don't have a ton of position flexibility in college you sort of work your way up um and so you know i think that jump would be a little bit difficult too to make right away with an all rookie secondary but i do mm-hmm. think that you know crazier things have happened you have a good coach uh, you have a good gm i think maybe you you win you win a game or two i think you surprise some people I think you made a good point, too, about there might not be a complete set of players. Certainly applies to the uh, for a specific position group. Certainly applies to the offensive line. May also apply to the defensive line. Just thinking Mm -hmm. of this last year's draft, it was a pretty thin defensive tackle draft. Or at the very least, there weren't as many highly ranked defensive tackles. I think only two went in the top 53. Christian Barmore to the Patriots and Levi Onwuzurike to the Lions. So if you're thinking about putting together position groups, that would be another hurdle. But the general basis of the question, yeah, it's interesting to think about too. If you did get a really good group of 53 players, how long would it take for them to grow together and progress? And maybe year three, I don't know. Alex, uh, one last thing. I think your friend might be less Sneed. So, uh, <laughs> so just check with, just double check and ask him, uh, just, uh, just to make sure. All right, uh, who do we have uh, next here, Jenny? All right, we've got Tane from New Zealand who wrote in by saying hello as Kea Ora, which taught us something new. He even included a pronunciation, which we truly appreciated. Thank you, Tane. 
Tane writes, why are quarterback passing yards in a game so dis- disingenuous? I.e., if Connor Orr throws a five yard out to Jenny Rentis, who catches it and it is promptly tackled, then I understand that to be five yards passing. Fair one. However, if Connor throws the same five yard out, Jenny catches it, shakes the tackle, and charges 45 yards for a touchdown then I understand that to be 45 yards added to the quarterback's passing total, when in fact the quarterback has passed for five and the receiver has done (laughs) the rest. Why is this the case, and why bother to have Yak as a statistic as well? Seems to skew the stats a little bit. That is a great question. Yes, it is. I mean, I have to say, first of all, very generous to think that I could shake any tackle and run 45 yards. So um, really... A lot of confidence there shown in my ability, Tane, which we truly appreciate. I mean, if it was one of the two of us, you know, that I'm betting on getting the yak, it's you. I mean, you know, I'm not counting on myself there. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm very confident in checking down to Jenny, um, as I have been uh, throughout my career. Uh, but I, I, I agree that I think, you know, I think one of the things that's important to note is that teams have gotten so much better like the only people who really care about total net passing yards now are probably fantasy football players right like people who get or quarterbacks in general who get like some sort of an obscure contractual bonus from this right i would say that teams have done a great job and there are so many good boutique statistical sites that have popped up over the years that do separate this stuff out and you mentioned yards after the catch um but you know air yards uh for quarterback one of them and i think that that's really what people are looking at now and evaluating like for example if you're a kyle shanahan quarterback they had the yard at some point at one point they had the largest percentage of yards after the catch in the league and they design their routes to be able to give receivers outlets after they catch the ball so they have more room to run and so a quarterback needs to be evaluated differently in that system than he does in another system and so that's why I think it's interesting and and for example maybe why you saw the Patriots go for Mac Jones and maybe there wasn't this bustling uh, hustling trade market for Garoppolo um, when uh, when you looked at the open market this offseason. Yeah, I think that's a great point that the analytics departments on teams do evaluations based on meaningful stats rather than the stats that have always been used. And basically the quarterback passing yard stats, as you mentioned, Connor, it's basically for different contractual incentives or for reaching different milestones in a career. Obviously there's some resistance to changing the way stats have already always been calculated because you know you compare different eras of players etc etc but yes i think the way teams look at players and the way teams evaluate players they have very specific categories that matter the most to them so tane you could work in an nfl analytics department i would love that and what is it kaya aura kaya aura kaya aura yeah all right our next one is uh from chase who uh, faithfully writes in about the Bills and wants us to be sure to discuss the Bills in the final episode. Uh, No doubt uh, the Bills Mafia has made it to the uh, season finale of the the series finale of the Weekside Podcast. (laughs) Um, After a miraculous 2021 campaign, can you see the Buffalo Bills making a repeat statement and potentially going back to the AFC Championship game? Also, could Shelby join in and answer the question? Yes! Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think we should. Uh, uh, I don't know. How do you want to do this? Should we have? Uh, should we have Shelby come in first and uh, and and give his take? Mostly because 
I am I, I'm very eager to have uh, Shelby's Bill's uh, take on this. So. Yes, I agree. Shelby's opinions are hidden from public view too, far too long. So we need to we need to get them back on the show here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was perfect. That was perfect. You're like the uh, you're like the people from Daft Punk. You never take your mask off. Remember? All right, so so sh- so I think we should interpret that as Shelby saying no, right? <laughs> he doesn't think the Bells are are going to be back to the AFC Championship game. I would take it that way, and I agree. Uh, I agree that I, I think it's too it's too hard to sustain. And I got trust me, there is nobody else out there. Uh, well, probably uh, more other people, but nobody else out there that I can think of that was more publicly down on the Bills going into last season. But, you know, around in, in about two months, I'm going to be picking all 256 games and I had the Bills going seven and nine and I had the Jets going eight and eight. And can I tell you that every single week there were five, six, <laughs> seven uh, Buffaloians in my inbox letting me know what a crazy decision that was and how wrong I am and 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 so on and so on and so uh, do I think they're going to win double digit games again this year yes uh, and the reason why is because they have a great coaching staff and they're bringing back the entire coaching staff offensive line and quarterback um, I think the reason that I would say no on the AFC title game is not enough upgrades to make themselves markedly different from last year. And I know that they were in on some of the different weapons this offseason. You know, uh, I think that there probably was some Travis Etienne um, interest in the draft, um, but he got taken before them. I think Zach Ertz was probably a possibility and might still be a possibility for them, but I think they wanted to upgrade. I just don't think that they were necessarily able to. Um, and so I think that they're not going to look as different as they need to be in order to kind of take it that one step further. Yeah, I would t- tend to agree. I mean, first of all, I, I never want to disagree with both Connor and Shelby. So I think I'm <laughs> on the right side here by agreeing with you guys. But you've been on this for a while, Connor, wanting the Bills to make some upgrades this off season more significant ones than we've seen. And as you mentioned, they were interested in doing so. It just didn't work out. I think Josh Allen's step forward last year really surprised a lot of people, but perhaps even harder than making that step forward is sustaining it. So I think you laid it out really well, Connor, is that you kind of have to always be morphing and changing and finding new ways to get better. And that's not to say that the coaching staff won't do that, but I do think the offseason moves perhaps lacked a little bit of that spice that maybe we expected, which, by the way, we're going to get to later in the show, the definition of some of our favorite terms. So. Yes. Uh, did you just do a perfect uh, Did you just do a perfect segue? Oh, no, we have one more here. Um, okay, so, uh, okay, your turn. Uh, what do we have next here? All right, so this one was from DCDC, was the name and the subject line. Is that a plan, ACDC? I'm not sure, but... <laughs> DCDC, great question here. Which of the elite teams of the past decade, i.e. the Saints, Seahawks, 49ers, Ravens, the Patriots of the world, do you foresee becoming mediocre in the upcoming decade or at least for the next few years? Great question. Um, I think, uh, well, I want you to go first because I think you have the best answer. Well, I I think the Saints. Yeah. I mean, clearly the Drew Brees era is over and I think, 
Sean Payton will look for ways to continue to be creative on offense, but I think it's going to be a little bit of a bumpy transition for them. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that's going to be tough, and I don't know that he stays there. I don't yeah, know that he stays there. Another for very good long, point, you know. Um, and so I think that uh, you know maybe you give the Taysom Hill thing a, a year or two, and then oh, I don't know. Mike McCarthy doesn't make the playoffs, and the Cowboys are looking for a head coach, and Sean Payton's a lot of his life is back in Texas in that area. And, you know, I'm just, you know, just yeah. trying to put two and two together there. I mean, but. that's been one of the biggest rumors over the last several years. It seems mm-hmm. like it comes up every off season is, is Sean Payton going to get out of new Orleans? Um, and now that breeze is over, I think it becomes more likely. And as you referenced the, the Cowboys connection is a, is a strong one. Yeah. I think that the, um, uh, you know, I, I could see the Seahawks thing happening, um, but only if they trade Russell Wilson, right? I think that they're always going to be competitive with Russell Wilson there. And Russell Wilson has said that he, you know, like Tom Brady, like a lot of these other guys, wants to play into his 40s. I think that he's got the build for it, uh, and I, I think that he would be able to handle that. Um But a lot of these te- these are really good franchises. You know, like I thought the whole take... um that Belichick is slipping and that the Patriots would fall off is ridiculous because, you know, if you were able to promote Josh McDaniels, say, after Bill Belichick is gone, I mean, that's still going to be a really good team, you know, um, and he's a really good coach. And so I think that those teams kind of have a chance to hang on. But I agree. I uh, I think um, I think the Saints probably are my number one team there. 49ers might just be getting started. I don't know. So we'll see how the Trey Lance era goes there. Um all right, what do we have? Uh, okay, our next one here is from Jack, a regular listener and corresponder from New England. And Jack says, can either of you specifically define the terms froggy and spicy? And can you provide an example of a froggy, some, someone's, someone saying something froggy, someone saying something spicy? I thought I could figure it out based on context, but now time has sadly run out. This coming from someone from New England where, you know, nice. <laughs> Shelby. This coming from a New Englander where uh, I, I find like probably one of the, the with the base accent there being they have their own kind of regional colloquialisms that uh, that the rest of the country are having a hard time figuring out. But um, all right. Uh, which one do you want to take? You want to take froggy or do you want to take spicy? Well, I'll start with spicy, Connor. I think that is my preferred of the two adjectives. Also, I have to say that the subject line of Jack's email was, what are these spicy frogs that are presumably seasoned in froggy spices? Which I just thought was fantastic. (laughs) I mean, this is really a fun question. Our whole theme of this show is to tap into the things that were beloved uh, over the last uh, however many episodes, and this is certainly one. So spicy is anything that has a little bit of intrigue to it. Prime example of spicy is when the Packers drafted Jordan Love and I texted Connor the red hot chili emoji because we just knew Mm -hmm. what was to follow. So, yeah, anything that mixes things up a little bit, um, provides some drama, which as journalists, as people, we all like. I agree. That was uh, perfectly said. And Froggy 
actually was an adopted term from our good friend Jonathan Jones, uh, who uh, used to work with us and now does a great job as an insider over at CBS Sports. So if you get a chance to follow him, Jones 9 on Twitter, he's he's wonderful. He's one of us, good people. Um, and uh, so he used to say this a lot when we worked together. We loved it. Um, and, uh, and so we kind of stole it uh, and, and used it as our own. And so Froggy is kind of, you know, it's when you start gaining confidence and then and then you start uh, and then you start outwardly exuding it. And so, for example, like imagine you're, I don't know, a quarterback, a rookie quarterback, a, a generally a shy person, sort of um, not very outspoken. And then you have, you know, two or three big games and then you come to a press conference and you start kind of zinging one liners at people or, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, maybe even uh, being a little spicy. And by being spicy, you are also being froggy. But, you know, it's sort of a it's sort of the I guess if we were Webster's Dictionary, it would be an outpouring of newfound confidence. How about that? Good. Yeah. Feeling froggy. Feeling froggy. Um which I have to say, um, hearing from all of you uh, and uh, getting all of these messages from everybody, it it helps it helps ingest inject a little frogginess, um, you know, during the day and at Great a time point. when we could all use a little frogginess. You know. Great point, Connor. Okay, so now we have uh, a few listener ideas and uh, thoughts. Uh, so we'll kind of run through these. Uh, Jenny, why don't you kick us off here? Okay, I'll do the first few. So Jonas in Sweden, we saw your note. Jonas suggested humbly a transi- translation from inches to pounds, excuse me, to centimeters and kilos for European readers. And he makes the point that imagine if you are looking at players' heights and weights, we're used to seeing them in American terms and knowing what that means. So <laughs> six foot two or 250, and those have immediate recognition, he's pointing out. We don't have that in Europe. So could you translate? And I kind of love that. We can set off a parenthetical. Actually, I think Jonas wants us to fully convert to centimeters and kilos. But I'm thinking we could in- investigate into doing a little hybrid system here, Connor. The Vrentis family is one of science. And so I'm going to defer to them in terms <laughs> of the um, the implications of uh, moving away from what are we the what what unit of measurement? There's like a, a name for us, right? Like the weird people, the kings. Are we the kings something? Right? Aren't we king something? Uh, well, because this wasn't a foot. U.S. versus the metric system is that what it is? Or wasn't a foot like the length of a f- like a king's foot? Oh, am I making that imp- up? Imperial system. Imperial. Imperial. Ooh. Wow. Right? I don't like that at all. I don't like um, that at all. Yeah, I'm good with centimeters, Jonas. I say we just all, you know. <laughs> I say we just all move over to you guys. It makes more sense anyway. Uh, I like, uh, you know, I like kilos. I can do that. You know, I, I, I can be there for that. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll give it a go. And then, um, all right, Con, you want to do the next one? Okay. Uh, Ken sent in his Rams analysis. Um, the 2021 offense equals the 18 offense and, tw- okay, okay. Hold on here. There's a uh, math equations here. Uh, I'm getting nervous. Uh, uh, yeah, this is like, you can see me sweating. Through well, the he now. based it off of our discussion last week where the concerns over Brandon Staley leaving, the defense taking a step back versus the offense taking a huge step forward with Matthew Stafford. So he's Correct. trying to game out 
how 2021 will compare to past Rams seasons. So okay. citing the 2018 season when they went to the Super Bowl, making the point that the 2021 offense would be equivalent to the 2018 offense. And he thinks the 2021 defense would be better than the 2018 defense. Now, the 2021 defense may still be less than the 20 defense, but his point is this team could be better than the team that went to the Super Bowl. Ugh, that was, uh, this is like the first time I learned the uh, quadratic equation. Well, listen, Connor, I dropped in the little equations without any of the context of the rest of Ken's email into our Google Docs, so that one was on me. No, I think that's just math for me in general. That's just no, not a no. language. No, uh, and I, I'm looking at the next one, and I'm realizing that I didn't fully put the context in the Google Doc. So I'm going to take Julia in Kansas City's comment as well. Got it. She suggests, so she commented last time that we discussed a few elephants in the room and player safety and also the Kansas City Chiefs team mascot and imagery that they use. So she, as a Kansas City native would love to see a rethink of the Kansas City team name. And she says, while she misses war paint, the horse galloping onto the field to celebrate touchdowns, she accepts the necessity of her team choosing a more culturally appropriate moniker and branding and non-offensive stadium rituals. That is awesome, Julia. She mentions that Casey Wolf, which I had to Google, actually. I wasn't familiar with Casey Wolf, but Casey Wolf has been around for a while, is a fun mascot. Or heck, what about calling the elephant in the room an elephant? So she points out that Cardinals aren't found in Arizona, Lions aren't found in Detroit, and Titans exist nowhere at all. So let's not quibble <laughs> about whether or not elephants live in Missouri. So I love it. Julia is humbly submitting that the Kansas City Chiefs become the Kansas City Elephants, and Connor, I would love that. No jazz in Utah either, Julia. That's um, right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, no, I love that. I think that's great. Um, more, The more sort of animal mascots that you can get, I would say the better in general, just because, you know, the more chances you get to for people just to make funny animal noises, right? Like, you know, I've, I've been practicing my elephant noise a lot because my three-year-old really likes it. Um, and so, uh, again, you know, you have a bunch of people there kind of, yes, it's exactly, that's exactly what I sound like. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that's good. I think the mo the more animal noises you can get and then, you know, to balance out because it's so bird heavy right now. And and (laughs) while we love that, um, you know, you need more kind of a ground based animals too. So like why? Why haven't elephants caught on as like a, a, you know what I mean? Like, I guess the Crimson Tide, Alabama, they have an elephant. um, But like, you don't see elephants anywhere, you know? What about giraffes? Why is a giraffe not a mascot? Well, I would say like an elephant is powerful. And like, what is a giraffe's claim to fame except for (laughs) our producer Shelby said Toys R Us. Um, So, uh good point joffrey the giraffe uh but what is their claim to fame outside of being able to reach things on very high well um, they're highly evolved in order to be able to eat the leaves off trees true true i mean i I just watched episode one of the crown and it was very giraffe centric uh queen elizabeth and prince philip went on safari and uh saw a bunch of giraffes so they were walking outside their room so but but i'm with you on the elephants i mean like, the why elephants. isn't that a more popular thing, you know? Some say the elephant is the real king of the jungle. I agree with that. Or queen of the jungle. True. Very good. Um, Julia, great note. 
Couldn't agree more. And I think you've opened up a sub-discussion on Mm -hmm. the lack of elephant representation, (laughs) which I think needs to be taken care of just because, you know what? Like, you want something that's big and powerful, right? Like, I bet if Dan Campbell could rename his team, he would probably Ooh, name them the Elephants. The Detroit know? Elephants, yeah. The Detroit Elephants. <laughs> My gosh, it's perfect. My team in Madden used to be, like, if you played Madden, you got to create a franchise, and then you got to move it to a new locale, and there was, like, ten baked-in mascots that the game came with that you got to pick, and then you could design your uniform colors and everything. And one of them was the River Hogs. And I really I enjoyed that too. If I was, that's another animal that I think is greatly underrepresented is the is the river hog or any sort of hog in general. Amazing. Um, all right, so we have John in Portland, and he has a segment idea for the Monday morning show, uh, which we're now doing with Gary. And uh, you know, you guys again, please be sure to join us. We're we're moving over there. Um, we've been doing it the last couple weeks, uh, doing some test runs here. So we're looking forward to having everybody join us. And so he wants the Oracle, the Vrentis consensus, and then maybe Gramlings Grumbles. Or Grambling's Game Ball, both of which I think are very good. Grambling's Grumbles uh, sounds a little bit more like the Gary I know. Oh, Grambling's Grumbles is spot on. John in Portland must also be an MMQB Monday Morning Show listener because Has he be. nailed it. Very good. Um, our This is back to our first Alex in the UK, Connor. This was oh his observation as well. An NFL thought to leave you with. So much has been made of QBs being reunited with their college teammates. But couldn't this be a bad thing? Shouldn't a QB be encouraged to organically create chemistry with his new teammates? Isn't it risky having that much of a comfort blanket? Great question, Alex. Um, I would say that a lot of Jets probably agreed with you when... uh, Oh, what... Remember when the uh, Jets drafted... um, Scotty McKnight? Scotty McKnight. Oh, my gosh. This is... Yes. Yes, Connor. This was really an opening to, to getting back to that. There are so many... The amount of times, and not just with Scotty McKnight, but the amount of times that the words Mark Sanchez and security blanket appeared in the same story, I bet if you did a Nexus, it would just overflow with um, with Mark Sanchez slash security blanket uh, because of uh, things like that. But I agree, and I think um, one of the interesting things, um, I've talked a little bit about this, but Kellen Mond, who got picked by the Vikings, um, he uh he was a quarterback at Texas A&M and him and I were talking about the pre-draft process and a lot of these guys hire you know coaches um you know Jordan Palmer um John Beck are a lot of these uh guys and they'll kind of orchestrate their pro days for the players and one of the parts of that is you know having them constantly throw with these wide receivers so there's a rapport and a relationship and everything looks more efficient and his argument was shouldn't that be my job you know, shouldn't that be my job to put guys who don't know me um, in the right place and to be a leader and to lead? And so I think, and he obviously shot up a lot of draft boards. People didn't think he was going to get drafted, ended up being a third round pick. And I do think that that idea sort of does catch on. I think that there's a point where you can over, uh, you can over kowtow to your quarterback, I think. Mm -hmm. And this was probably related in part to the Jamar Chase pick by the Bengals, mm-hmm. which surprised a lot of people. We both thought they'd go with Penny Sewell, so. And should have. And should have. Uh, yeah. All right. I'll go to the next one. This is from John from Amherst, 
Massachusetts. I hope I said that right because John specified in his email that the H is silent, which is a good reminder. This is a really cool rules change suggestion, Connor. He says, I want to know your feelings on this proposal. When a ball is kicked and hits the upright or crossbar, it is worth one point for each hit. This is Mm. so cool. This gives an added layer of accuracy since rather than going for two plus an onside kick to make up for a four-point deficit, a team with a very accurate kicker could try for the four-point play, hit an upright, and go through. So that would be on the field goal. The extra point could become a two-point play via a doink and through, trademark pending, he says. Okay, noted, Mm. John. Consider as an example the infamous double doink. Bears down by one against the Eagles. Cody Parkey's field goal attempt hits both the upright and the crossbar. Two points. Bears win. Wow. He says, note, I am an Eagles fan. I am happy with the outcome, but I am still a strong advocate for doink points. Another trademark pending. Doink points. I just think this is so fun. I mean, we have seen a lot of interesting proposals over the last couple of years to try to spice up the game a little bit, make it a little bit more fun, rules changes that are outside the box. And I do wonder from a kicker's perspective if it's possible to train for the doink. I mean, it must be, right? You try to hit a target, so... Um, it has to be, Yeah, right? It like must, It I, has to be. I, I remember watching... Um, it was cool. I, when I was at the Pro Bowl with... Um, when I used to work for um, NFL.com, they took Justin Tucker to the Pro Bowl, um, and he did a bunch of social media stuff with them, and I got to hang out with them throughout the week. And what these guys do in order to hone their accuracy is crazy. I mean, from kicking it completely parallel to the field goal and like hooking it in like almost like a corner kick in, in soccer um, and, and making field goals that way. Like they're so talented. I would, I would love to see that because it adds a little bit more of, you know, there's an extra element to, to the kicker and the kicker right now, I think, is more of an underappreciated kind of guy in the NFL world where it's like, you know, you had Rex Ryan on uh, ESPN a couple of years ago saying, well, you only have one job to do and you can't do it and blah, blah, blah. But if these guys start adding to the equation too, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, 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 you know, you, you start leading the league in doink points, all of a sudden you're, uh, you know, you can be pretty froggy in the locker room. You know? <laughs> love it. I love doink points. Doink I'm actually kind of mad at like, John, that was so good. I'm a little mad to the like that I, not that I didn't think of it. I wouldn't have thought of it, but um, uh, now I want to do an article on doink points. I so. mean, we really should look into this a little bit further. I, I absolutely love it. Love it. Uh, absolutely. And speaking of things we love, Connor, this last one you you got to read it. It's so good and really warm to my heart. Uh, this is from Jeff in London. Probably, yeah. Definitely one of my favorite notes that we got here. While most of the world will be focused on the Jaguars opening their season in London on September 11th, 2025, I'll be far more interested in the opening of a small vegan taqueria just outside the stadium. I love it. We have a dearth of decent Mexican food here in London, so if you ever want to have a proper go at your second best career path, please consider starting here. Jeff, I heard that. Uh, so my sister is a uh, is a resident of the UK. That was her biggest complaint. She said the Indian food, the Thai food, uh, was out of this world. Uh, the Italian was representative. Um, uh, you know, can get a good pizza out there, but the one thing she can't get um, is great Mexican food. And um, uh, but I think Jeff too also uh, linked us a great spot. 
um, sort of an out-of-the-way locale, I think, in his email if we did want to go to London and there's only one place that he would recommend. And I did pass that along to my sister as well. So she's very excited. She's going to try this place. Oh, my uh, gosh. Give give a full report back. It sounded like one of those secret spots that a local has to tell you about. So Yes, it was like you have to know the code to get in. But uh, thank you, Jeff, and thank you for uh, keeping the groundswell of public uh, support going for Root, Jenny and I's vegan taqueria, <laughs> our backup plan uh, for the inevitable uh, shutdown of journalism. So um, our next segment here uh, is one of you sent in an oracle, which is great. I love it. Um, Rich Langley from East Yorkshire, UK, has been a Jets fan since September 21st, 1986. Wow. Which was their epic 51-45 overtime win over the Dolphins. And he writes, what chance a winning se- what, what is the chance for a winning season this year? I'm predicting a big swing into the plus column. How's that for a york a call? Very good. Love uh, it. Because he's from Yorkshire, I'm guessing? Yes, yes. Very good. I don't know. What do you think about that winning season for the Jets this year? I'm not as froggy on the Jets as Rich <laughs> here, but uh, I think we'll see an improvement. I will say it's hard not to see an improvement after the Jets last season, but I think they're moving in the right direction. I'm interested to see what happens with Zach Wilson, though. I they, The transition to Wilson, they don't really have a, a, a situation where he can comfortably make that transition when he's ready so that is one thing that worries me a little bit connor yeah i agree um i think that um i think that wilson is i think he'll be good in time the problem is there are some franchises who are not good at the concept of time and uh, the jets historically have been really bad at that and you know but do they change and here's where i'll side with rich i'll say that the one thing i think you're right about is i do think that the jets are going to be less catastrophic over this time like i don't think you know uh there's been something so loud and obnoxious and easy to make fun of about the jets every year for the last 10 years and i don't i think that will go away and i think that that is a slow that is part of the slow ascent back to a place where you'd like to be as a franchise. So that's that's what I would say. I would agree with you there. All right. And now, do you have your own Oracle this week, Connor? I do. Um, so this is a little bit of a continuation of what I had said last week, and this is not a cop-out, um, as some might suggest. Um, but, well, how about I'll, I'll do this. I'll do, two, uh, I'll do two Oracles, one in fitting with sort of the uh, grandiose nature of the segment, and I will say that um, we're going to love the fact that the Patriots will be in the Super Bowl, back in the Super Bowl again this year. So that's a uh, that'll be my fun oracle, uh, one that you guys can take to the bank, run to your local sports books, uh, don't walk, and uh, and bet the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Um, my other oracle is just you know we we're so touched um, by all the notes that people wrote in. Um, and just sort of all the things that, um, you know, we heard from, so, uh, you know, all these things that you guys had written about, um, you know, life during the pandemic, you know, all the things that everyone else was going through. And so my ultimate oracle, um, and just to reiterate, is that, you know, just, you know, 
people, you know, we're here for you and everything is, is going to work out. You know, that would be my, uh, I have no life at 32. I have no life evidence to suggest otherwise at this point, but I would say, you know, um, it's, it's going to be okay. We're going to all get through this and there are great things, great communities out there for, uh, for people. And, uh, you guys showed us that as much as hopefully we were able to show you that. So that would be my, uh, Oracle for uh, my final Oracle. Well, that's a lovely one, Connor, and uh, one that will definitely come true because this is a great community and will continue to be with the MMQB show. So, Yes, no doubt. All right, on to the Brentus consensus. I am going to borrow one from another listener who wrote in, Nick, because it's along the lines of the Brentus consensus that I was going to share, not to get too sappy. I know we're taking a little bit of a heartwarming, earnest turn here at the end of the show, but the situation calls for it. So Nick wrote in to say that his Brentus consensus is that the Weekside podcast will live on forever in our hearts. He says it has been a joy listening to us, and he hopes to hear more from us in the future. So, Nick, that is a wonderful sentiment, and I really believe that, too, that we had this wonderful connection with all of you listeners, and we're always going to remember the Weekside Podcast. Like I mentioned, Connor made me this amazing puzzle with the logo on it that was designed by Shelby's friend. So this has been a really, really great chapter during a really difficult time that we've all experienced together, and always something that I'll look back on with a with a smile. So, and yes, you will be hearing from us more in the future as well because we'll be on the MMQB feed. So, thank you for that wonderful Rentus consensus Nick and for making it easy for me this week. Yeah, I I completely uh I agree. I'm excited to do this. I think that the new podcast will be great. We're going to continue to correspond with everybody and uh I agree though. It is going to live on forever. And in like 10 years there's going to be like a cool article on like medium about like the podcast you didn't listen to but wish you did you know <laughs> and uh you know so somebody download all the episodes now and screen grab them and you can sell them on ebay when we get super uh when we get super hot again in 10 years you know love it connor love it well in closing i want to hit on one last thing alex another alex from the uk this one from manchester asked for our favorite episode and I was thinking about it. For me, it has to be the Oracle checks. You know, Shelby does a lot of amazing work on the show, including the sound effects. But my favorite work that Shelby has done is going back into the Oracle archives and fact checking our own Connor Orr to see if he's really a soothsayer. That was a high point. Someone else wrote in noting that they enjoyed that. We gave Connor credit for predicting that Devontae Freeman would have a great season for the Giants <laughs> because Devontae Adams had a great season. So we gave him credit there, you know, a little a little bump that maybe he didn't quite earn. But hey, we all need a little bump we don't quite earn sometimes. So that was my favorite episode. How about you, Connor? I would say, uh, well, it's sort of twofold. Um, and it'll be a little bit sappy. But I think the first one that we did on our own together um, was just cool because, you know, I remember, man, and this was 10 years ago at uh, our first combine that we went to together. Jenny and I were both covering the Jets, and um, Jenny was very generous and kind of showing me the ropes there that week, and it was like my head was spinning, um, sometimes uh, uh, literally uh, when I was staying out a little bit too late at that point um, in my young younger years, but... Um, I remember us talking a little bit about what we wanted to do 
um, with our careers when we got older. And, you know, you had mentioned that Sports Illustrated was always a place that you had wanted to work. And that was my dream as well. And I thought that was like a cool little thing that we learned about each other at that point, kind of put that away in the back of my mind. And to do our first episode together, you know, it was like one of those moments where, you know, someone always gave me a great piece of advice. Like when something good happens, don't look at it like it's it's a plateau. You look at it like you're you're on a nice little run up a hill and then you just pause a minute to take a look at the scenery, the beautiful scenery. And that was a moment for me like that where it was like, you know, of course, you know, th- things will, will get better and, you know, life will be more exciting at every turn. But uh, that was one of those moments that you wanted to pause and say, wow, that's cool. You know, think about that. Ten years ago, we had no idea what was going to happen. Jenny was probably like, get this 21 year old out of my face so i don't have to he's gonna follow me around like a puppy dog forever but uh that's what happened and uh, we got to do a podcast together so that was cool quite the opposite it was (laughs) the beginning of a wonderful friendship and that's been one of the best parts of doing the show is is really doing this weekly podcast with a really good friend and shelby's become a really good friend over the last two years so it's as miguel wrote in it's just a bunch of friends at a brunch with coffee on the side that's exactly the vibe we were going for. So, um, but that's a beautiful uh, image you just brought up, Connor. Just kind of a, a good way to look at things and a perfect note to end the show on. Indeed. But we have to also get to Dakota in Vancouver, who quickly asked, What are we most excited about for the new show? I think I'm most excited just to keep up the vibe. I think we have a good connection with Gary, too. I enjoy the banter back and forth. And I'm honestly just excited that we still have a place to come talk every week. The ending of the week side podcast is is really sad, but I'm glad that we still have a forum to connect with listeners, to talk things through with each other. I always learn something from recording with you every week, Connor. Same. I do too. Um, And, you know, the good news, Dakota, is that there's two of us and only one of him. So if we just want to make it the weak side with a different name, uh, it's pretty easy because we could just keep talking to, you know, and no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I love Gary. Um, You know, I would suggest if, you know, there's any of you guys who have been here and not there um, to check out Gary's columns. He does, you know, some really funny, um, really interesting work, um, especially during the season um, and get a sense of his, uh, his personality, his sense of humor. He does a great job. And again, I mean, join us, join us, join us. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, we promise. Oracle, Rentus Consensus, Gramblings, Grumbles. What could go wrong? Nothing. This is going to be great. This is going to be great. And thank you, everybody, for helping make this great. The Weekside Podcast was me, Jenny Brentis, <laughs> and Connor Orr. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Mark Moravik is the Emeritus Executive Director of the MMQB. Our theme music was written and composed by singer-songwriter Ryan Harris-Brown, whose latest album, Stranded in the Present Tense, is available now on all major streaming services. You can continue to listen to us every Monday morning on the MMQB Monday Morning Podcast. 